I'm privileged to have gone to um, high school and then to university. But I remember when I went to high school, I there, there's never at any moment in my high school um, career or studying that I was asked, Eunice, you could be a teacher, you could be a hairdresser, you could be a driver, you could be anything else that you want. I don't ever recall prostitution being one of those economic choices that I could make as a career. So when we then say that it is a choice, let's look at who is it a choice for? And if it's only a choice for people who don't have other choices to choose from, that that's the only economic uh, choice that you have, then it is a choice to the marginalized, the poor, um, those who've gone through a lot of trauma, uh, underserved, underprivileged, then that's the choice for those who don't have a, other economic choices to make. She's my Salam and hello everyone. My name is Lily Bakala Piper and as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Nairobi has been my home for 12 years. And in this city that is full of culture and life, entrepreneurship and just people and populations of across the globe, there are also 40,000 women and girls involved in sex work. Today's conversation is all about these women and these girls. These women who make their living, support their families, and find their livelihoods on the streets of Nairobi. Now that number 40,000 is certainly very sobering, and it doesn't really capture or do justice to the number of women throughout the country, the region, and the continent who are involved in sex work and in human trafficking. Oftentimes, and many would say every time, against their choice. There are many people involved in the ecosystem of sex work. Of course, there are the women themselves. There are those who recruit and train them. There are their clients and their perpetrators. And then there are people like you and I, normal people who maybe live and work and are neighbors to these women and are very uninvolved with the issue, maybe tangentially know about it or hear about it on the news, but are otherwise uninvolved. Recently, a good friend of mine, Faith, brought to my attention the issue and invited me to talk to her friend, Eunice Mathu. Eunice is a Kenyan woman who went away for some time, got her schooling and training in the UK. She has a master's in gender and international development from the University of East Anglia. And on one of her trips back to Nairobi, her eyes were open to the scale of the sex work industry. But unlike me, and unlike many of us, she didn't just see it and observe it from a distance, but she decided to get involved. Eunice moved back to Kenya a few years ago and started the Rajesha Project. The Rajesha Project is committed to helping women leave the sex work industry. Traditionally, this industry, we've, we've called it prostitution and we've called the women involved prostitutes. But for me, that, that term is not very comfortable. So during this conversation, I'm going to refer to it as sex work. Some might call that PC, but I think it is important that we try as much as we can with our language, with our words, and most importantly, with our actions to bring dignity to these women in these communities. And Eunice and the Rajesha Project are doing that through the work that they have started in 2019. Their plan and their approach is really quite simple. 
They share a meal with women in Nairobi's red light districts. They build relationships. And over time and conversation, they invite these women to consider an alternate way of work. And the reason they do that is because Eunice's research and her understanding of the field is that sex work for almost all women is not a choice. So today's conversation is to help us better understand the issue and hopefully to get involved. So I'm really glad that you've tuned in today and I'm really pleased to introduce you to Eunice Mathu, the founder of the Rajesha Project. And I'm equally honored and delighted that one of the women that she's come to befriend and come to know, named Angela, for the sake of this show, is also joining us to tell us her story of being a sex worker here in Nairobi. So if you're listening to this episode, maybe with young children or others, who this topic may be a bit triggering for you or sensitive, then maybe this isn't the episode for you. But I hope that most of you will lean in and really listen to the stories, the data, and the relationships that have been built and the stories that are being told. I think it's really important for us to be active and involved citizens, not only in Nairobi, but wherever you are listening. So please welcome to the show, Eunice and also Angela. Eunice, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And this is a delight to be here. We're so honored that you'd be here. And, and we're going to hear from Angela a little bit later, but I want to go ahead and say to Angela, Karibusana. So when Faith introduced us yeah. a few uh, weeks ago, maybe months ago now even, we, we had a coffee and you were telling me about a story mm. when you visited Kenya with some friends on holiday. Yeah. You grew up in Kenya. I Remind did. me where you grew up, though. I grew up in Nyeri, which is a nice place to grow up. It's it the highlands surrounded by the mountains. Mount Kenya is on one end and then Abadea is on the other. So it's really beautiful. And that's where I still call home. Yeah. yeah. A rural girl went to the big city. I know, right? <laughs> went across the ocean for yes. schooling, came back for holiday. And do you mind telling us a little bit about this story that started to first open your eyes to the sex work industry here in Kenya? Mm. So I had gone to the UK in my late teens and then on my first holiday back home, and as you do, you come over Christmas because you're running away from the winter. It's cold. <laughs> uh, my friend, two of my friends, two of my girlfriends, we take a holiday to Kilifi. Uh, and Kilifi is beautiful. It's in the coast of Kenya. It's by the beach and the sea. And we really wanted to experience that. Um, so on this holiday, I didn't know, and I have to say, I am a 21-year-old, so naive, and I did not know what really happens uh, in in Kilifi. This is my first time also going to Kilifi. Um, and while we are there, and when I tell you, every place we went to, we would meet very young girls with older men, but then we're going into the when we go into the clubs or mm. we go into the uh, coffee shops and my friends and I are being asked, oh, are you here? Are you looking? And I'm thinking... For what? Looking for what? Right. Um, so it was uh, an evening we'd gone out uh, to one of the clubs and the two of my friends, they go to the bathroom and they leave me in charge of our table and this guy comes over and says hey, you you know, you girls are so beautiful and I want to invite you to my house tomorrow. I have a chef, I have a pool. 
And I'm thinking, okay, that's really nice, but it's not really impressive. We have all of that where right. we're staying. <laughs> um, so when my friends come back and I say to them, oh, you see that gentleman over there? This is what he's offering us to go and do at his house tomorrow. Um, and my friend who is a few years older than me says, how, how naive, how silly are you? Do you know what he's asking you to go and do? And I, I had no idea. Mm. I had no idea. But for me, Lily, what happened is I now saw it everywhere. And how did that sit with you, having grown up here, been gone for just schooling, really, yeah. and coming How did that feel? Mm. I remember thinking, I don't like what I've just seen. I don't like what's going on. And when I say for me, my eyes opened, I went back and I went back to um, my last year of university in the UK, but it stuck with me. It sat with me for the longest time and it didn't, it didn't go away. And I just kept researching and finding out what is this thing? What is it even called? Does it even have a name? And I found that it does have a name. It's uh, sex tourism. And then it goes beyond that. It goes beyond sex tourism to child sex tourism. That there are people who go to different destinations such as our coastal areas um, and come here. And what they want to do is exploit um, the young girls who are there, mainly because of the economic situation in these places, but also because our country, such as where we are, it has um, the laws only go so far. So they can come and they can do whatever they like and can get away with it. So for me, I remember thinking, I don't like that. And I would ask, um, because I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, and I remember would, I would ask God, is there something that you want me to do in this? Mm. Is there, do you want me to do anything about it? Um, because the more I research, the more I find out, and I, it goes deeper and deeper, and I'm just saying, I don't like it. I don't mm. like it. And I would like to do something about it. And truly and honestly, that's where the journey began. And it's now been over 10 years of this journey and growing into it and just realizing that there is something, something you can do. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that legal landscape that this problem exists in. And I think it's we're going to talk a little bit later about kind of the different sides of the argument. Yeah. Some people may not consider it a problem per se, but I think what you said and what have identified, particularly around the child sex tourism, I don't think mm -hmm. anyone would disagree mm -hmm. that when you do not have autonomy and you are a minor, that it is a problem. Yeah. So let's talk about the legal framework in Kenya. What is legal here? And we know laws vary from country to country, mm. but what did you find and learn about the legal framework here as related to sex work? Mm. Um, so sex work is illegal in Kenya. Our penal code makes it that it's a felony. If you're caught soliciting or benefiting from earnings made from sex work, that is a felony and would, uh, it could, take you to prison for up to seven years, maybe wow. even more. But here is the tricky situation. You have to be caught in the act of mm. sex work, which is highly unlikely for anyone to, to be caught sure. doing that. It's such a secretive, discreet uh, uh, nature of work. So it is illegal. It is also illegal for anyone who would come and um, solicit 
uh, minors for prostitution or sex work, that is illegal um, according to our laws. But so what I say is everything that is on paper, the law on paper and the law on the ground is just so different. Who is policing yeah. the minors at the clubs? Who's policing the tourists? Um, and when I say tourists, I don't want to just make it that it is uh, foreigners sure. who come because there are seasons where tourism is mainly domestic. Um, from, yeah. Yes, sure. from, from in, inside of Kenya. So we do have tourists who will be that they will leave Nairobi and go to to the coast for for, sure. for the business for sure um, let, let me just follow up on that though because I just want to understand does does it also mean though that the laws penalize the the women and we're focusing yeah. on women here we know that there are men also involved in sex work but as opposed to their clients which again would be predominantly men mm. as opposed to criminalizing the men who may be soliciting sex work. Yes. Is that how it's that's, that's how, how it's it, enforced? Yes. So it's the women who are targeted and arrested potentially as opposed to their clients. Absolutely. Okay. So Absolutely. the risk, the, the the all of that is really on the shoulders of of women uh, on half mm. of the population. Mm. So, so some of the, the work and the in the words that Ragesha project uses that I found really compelling was that sex work is not a choice. Mm. So that must have been something that in your understanding of the re in your understanding of the research, you came to that conclusion before starting Rajesha. So tell me why such a bold and strong statement that sex work is not a choice. Mm. I'm so glad you asked that question <laughs> because I stand by it. I believe that it is not a choice. And the reason why I say that, I always give the example of, so Lily, I'm privileged to have gone to um, high school and then to university. But I remember when I went to high school, I there, there's never at any moment in my high school um, career or studying that I was asked, Eunice, you could be a teacher you could be a hairdresser, mm -hmm. you could be a driver, you could be anything else that you want. I don't ever recall prostitution being one of those economic choices that I could make as a career. Mm -hmm. So when we then say that it is a choice, let's look at who is it a choice for? And if it's only a choice for people who don't have other choices to choose from, that that's the only economic uh choice that you have, then it is a choice to the marginalized, the poor, um, those who've gone through a lot of trauma, uh, underserved, underprivileged, then that's the choice for those who don't have a, other mm. economic choices mm. to make. So I do um, strongly believe mm. that for us, it is not a choice. And when you get to know the women, when you get to interact with them and you hear about their stories and their journey, it's not a choice. They would never had any other alternatives to make. So let's, let's pause it. That's a really yeah. powerful statement that if it is only a choice for the poor and the marginalized, mm. then is it really a choice? I think that's really compelling because there was a time not too far in our history where there were certain professions that only women did. If you have any background in the U.S. or the U.K. like you, there are professions that only black people did. Yeah. Um, so we all have touch points mm. outside of this one where we can look and say, yeah, there was only a time where black people were the only people in service roles. 
And we wouldn't have argued that being a professional or whatever was not a choice for them. But there's certainly the, the conversation around sex work is changing. I, I want to ask you a couple of questions related to that, because it's a really powerful and a really compelling way that you've succinctly summarized a really complex issue. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask you a little bit about your word choice? For you, does prostitution still ring true as the right word to use for this? And the women that you work with, what words do they use to describe the work that they're doing? Mm. Um so that is, I feel like that's a twofold question. It is, and it's I want also to... Kiswahili, right? So we're, this is an Anglophone term that we're using, an English term. Yes. So maybe it's not even yes. a fair question, really. Yes. <laughs> um, because for me, so the, the women on the streets, and they will, they're not shy to use any word that describes them. I think mm. they have been, all these uh, words and names that have been used to describe them so they have internalized that so they will be very free to say this is who i am this is what i do um and i simply if you judge me for what i do i think that's that's on you um so it is fair to use the word sex work and the reason for that is and as radisha we do this we want to give respect and dignity to these women where they are at you have to remember that these ladies have educated their children, some of them all the way to university, working in sex work. So we have to give it the respect that it deserves. It is incredibly dangerous and abusive and exploitative industry. But for some of these ladies, they have worked there for 30 odd years and have, that's their main income. So the, it is work, it is um, in a way, it is a profession. And when we are there, honestly, when we see the ladies and we always have to say, remember that this is their office. You have to treat it with respect. You can't, nobody can come to your office and just disrespect just you. Just walk in, yeah. So we have mm. to go in and treat their office with respect because it does pay the bills. It sends children to school. It pays for medical care. So it is work. Let's talk about the work of Rajesha because you've already started to to refer to it in terms of going to their office. So you, you've done a little, you know, research. You you eventually decide to come back to Kenya and start yeah. Rajesha. So tell, just walk us through in brief, kind of what those steps were between returning to Kenya and starting this project. And additionally, what what maybe data point were you chasing? You know, in my intro, I talk about 40,000 women mm. uh, involved in sex work just in Nairobi. But I'm curious if there was a data point that really was inspiring you to make the shift to actually come home and start mm. this project. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the journey of coming back to Nairobi was a long journey, I think, uh, for me, that began almost five years before I actually came back to, to from Nairobi. that coastal Khalifi trip. To so no, back, from or? the coastal trip, it's uh, ten years. That's ten years. That's, that's right. That's ten okay. years. Yeah. By the time I, I was able to come back, um, I really um, wanted to come back and be able to plug in in a way that it's helpful. So I knew that I cannot just pack my bags and then set up shop, and I don't know what I'm doing. So I took my time and. 
I wanted to get more experience. What is happening in other parts of the world? And for me, being in the UK at the time, I thought, what's what's happening in the UK? How might I be able to plug in? What experiences can I get from the UK that might be helpful back home? I'm not saying that everything that works in the UK sure. would be a blanket solution yeah. and would work here. No, it doesn't. Um, so going back to do my master's degree was actually very much informed by the decision that I had made that I wanted to come back home. So for me, I thought, what is the qualification or, or the education that I can get that will give me um, the ability to learn more about this thing that I'm so passionate about and actually be able to give me an opportunity to go back home and research. So my choice for international development and um, concentrating on gender studies was informed okay. by this passion that I have. So I felt like I started to do things from a reverse. I knew what it is that I'm passionate about, but what can get me there? And I need the experience. And I just um, want to just cut in there just to say I really appreciate that. I think I mentioned this before we started that I'm very um, leery of missionaries, which I don't consider you one. I don't, or I don't think you your, call yourself on that your one own. either. I'm not on my own for sure. But I really appreciate that you did a whole master's degree to understand this issue and be able to better serve your home community. Mm. I was really moved by that because then it goes beyond, let me go and do something about a problem. It becomes very deeply entrenched in the understanding, the empathy that's required, the research that's understand, the skill, like you want to build skills, just like an engineer would, a doctor would, a nurse would, a teacher would, to be able to come back and contribute. Um, so thank you for that, because I think too many of us think that our good intentions or our passion mm. for th something is enough, and it is not enough. These are complex challenges that are not born yeah. overnight, and we need people with real skills to address them. We would never entrust a teacher to go and fix the roads in Nairobi. We would not, we would want a structural engineer, you know, and so thank you for taking the time to understand it from a technical research data driven academic point of view. I think that's so valuable and what all of us should be thinking about as we think about the things that we're passionate about. So I just wanted to interrupt and say that because I think mm. it's really important that we start to approach the problems we see in that light. Mm. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Mm. So you were saying, so you got your master's and then you decide, okay, you finish and then come back or you spend Not more time yet. in the UK? Yeah. Not yet. I got my master's and then I thought, okay, so even with a master's degree with, without experience, what is it still that you're going to do? So I took some time uh, and I managed to get uh, an opportunity to work with, I call them survivors of trafficking. So this is human trafficking from Africa into the UK. So okay. working with young people from all across Africa, whether it's West Africa, Southern Africa, East Africa, and this organization, which is an amazing organization still um, in the UK, uh, and was the only one equipped to really work with uh, mm. survivors of trafficking from Africa into the UK. So I plugged in in there. I was so hungry to learn that I actually went to the, um, the founder and I just said, I will do whatever it takes. Do you want me to volunteer? Do you want me to be an intern? <laughs> I just want to learn. And she just said, I think, okay, 
your, I think you're what Welcome. we need. Come. <laughs> uh, and I worked there for a little while as an intern. And then I went back and was managing the uh, survivors uh, care. And with survivors care, I got to engage with policy work, policy development. So being able to sit in a parliament with other uh, professionals from different organizations and be able to advise on what is it uh, that survivors of trafficking from Africa into the UK need. So being a voice need to leave the profession or need to now build a life, build a life, yeah. build a life because trafficking is illegal. So once they are freed or once they are rescued from the situation, what's, what's the next, next steps? Yeah. How do they integrate back into the into society? Do they need to go back and do they need to have an education? What about housing? All of those things. Do they want to pursue uh, criminal uh, Charges, uh, yeah. Charges yeah. Uh, from their mm. traffickers. Um, so that that gave me so much good experience. Um, and it's from that that I was starting to understand even how, how does uh, sex work come into this? Because I think what we don't know is that sometimes a lot of, or some of the people that we might see on the streets, and you don't know that they could be trafficked sure. to work um, as a sex worker. And yes, they could look the part. They could be standing on the street uh, and looking like everyone else. But for some, they have been trafficked into the industry. And that is a huge thing back in the, in, in the UK. Uh, you see women trafficked from Africa, from East uh, Europe, from Asia to come and work in sex work. Let me ask you, was there a common theme or thread from the women that you talked to or the individuals you talked to who were leaving, um, who had been rescued out of trafficking that you that really kind of informed your next steps? Like, there, was there a common refrain, a theme of what they wanted for their lives mm. next that stuck with you? I think for all of these um, women or men who are trafficked to work in sex work, because yes, it is both men and women, it's from a place where you're seeking better, a better life for your family. You're seeking greener pastures. And when someone comes to your village or comes and finds you, wherever they might find you and say, look, I have an opportunity for you in the UK that you could uh, really plug in and this could be the game changer for you and your family. You take it. You take yeah. it. And they are brought in with that. It's deception. And when we say trafficking, a lot of people think, oh, they have to be chained and they have to have someone who is beating them up. Actually, it's the mental deception. It's the mental chain that you have to go through. So someone says, okay, I will take you to the UK and I will be able to pay for your ticket um, and I will even find accommodation for you. Which that alone seems like a golden ticket, right? It is. We all know the stories of those who are waiting for years for visas or yeah. opportunities to leave and someone says they'll manage that for you. All I'll of a process sudden, yeah. everything Seems for like a you. miracle. You yeah. go because you want, you're seeking better light for you yeah. and your, and your yeah. family. So when you get into the other side, wherever this could be, I'm not just saying it's in the UK, it's sure. all across the world. Sure. Um, and actually it's happening in our own country there right. is domestic trafficking so whenever you, when you get to that um the destination the trafficker then says look you owe me and now you owe me uh it could be 300 300 000 pounds 
that's a hefty amount. Impossible. It is impossible to pay. And now you will do anything that you can. You don't have your passport. Um, you're in a house. You don't know anyone. You don't know the system. You can't trust anyone. And whatever you're told, you believe. If you're told you can't trust the police, and maybe you come from a country where you can't trust the police, you believe it. If you're told, if you say anything, this is what's going to happen to you, so you stay quiet and you do what you're, what you're asked to do. So a lot of the young girls um, that I have seen, that's usually the, the promise of come, there is a job for you. Come, I have something for you. And then you get there. And actually there was, there was no job. Yeah, it was all yeah. force. It was all a fraud. And now you have to pay back the money that you owe. At some point you come back to Kenya. Um, you start yeah. the Rajesha project. Um, and because Angela is just around the corner from us, I want to make sure we leave plenty of time to hear her story. Can you tell us in brief kind of how that project started and what you do? So that then we'll then we'll turn it over to Angela and, and hear a bit about how she got involved. Mm. Um, so I come back to Kenya and I am going to the streets to understand. It's so important to understand what happens on the ground. I could never have come back and said, oh, I know because I've seen it elsewhere. I know what happens. I needed time to understand um, what's happening. What are the needs? How do some of these ladies end up here? So I spent quite a few months on my own in um, the city and I would go sit down, have a coffee, and just look and observe what's happening down below me. So tell us more of the details of that. Yes. In, in, in town, at night, on weekends, just give us the, the, the framework. Yeah. So this is any day of the week. Mind you, I've just come back, so I didn't have a job. Okay. I had all the time. <laughs> um, so any day of the week, I would go get buy myself a coffee and it's late in the evening. I literally would sit there to whatever restaurant or cafe that I'm sitting in will be closing. I will be the last mm. one to leave. Um, so late in the evening, uh, and this is mostly around the Kenyatta Avenue, Koinange Street. So this is the historical red light district. I needed to understand, is this still happening there? Like what, what's what's going on? Um, so then seeing that the women come and one of the things that they do, they talk to the security guards. And I thought, okay, I think I feel brave enough to speak to the security guards first mm. before maybe I approach the women. So that's what I did. I went and I approached one of the security guards and said, I've just seen that you talk to um, the ladies here. Um, I have an idea and this is perhaps what I might want to to do in future. Do you, can you, can you help me understand how um, how you know them, what's the relationship. And really that's how it started. And I remember one time I spoke to this guard and he just said, oh, these are my friends and called these two ladies to me. And I'm just, oh my goodness, I'm not even <laughs> sure what to say. And now I'm yeah. so, I'm, I'm scared. I'm sh I, that's literally so just how conversations. it Conversation. And I think once I had that, the first conversation with the, those two ladies. And then I went back again and I had more conversation with a, with a few more ladies. So the fear, first of all, of course, I, I that went away. Um, but then also you get to know people, you get to know the the, the real person. Um, and I would talk and say, look, I have this, this is the idea that I have. Would you be interested? And what was so that think, idea? So the Rajesha project, I said, we want to set up a place where we can invite people to just come. Do you think that would be something that you'd be interested? What are some of the, some of the things that you might want to see there? And the idea for food actually came up because one of, uh, one of the ladies that I was talking to said, sometimes we come 
and I have not eaten the food that I had or the money that I had. I bought food for the kids. Mm. So I have come and I haven't eaten. I will only eat when I get my first job. Mm. So I thought, why not save that money that you get from your first job and come and eat with us? Mm. And October of 2019, we set up, uh, we have a little space on Queen Anga Street where we set up food, teas, coffees, and it's uh, mainly volunteers who come out and we just invite the ladies and we ask them to come. Come and eat a meal with us. Come and, and just come to this space and just be yourself. It's it's safe. It's There is no judgment. And if you feel free to talk, you can talk. If you don't want to talk, you don't have to talk to anyone. Just come. And we went out. We invited some of the ladies and when they came, I remember the first night we had about 18 women come. Okay. And I thought, do you know what? I know where they've come. They've come to see whether we are, who are these bunch of crazy yeah. people who <laughs> want to set up something like this? But Lily, they came back the second time that we went and they brought their friends mm. and they started to say, this is, a, this is a place where I feel I am seen, I am known I am heard and I'm not just seen for my body. I'm not seen for what I am selling, that there are people who are seeing me and seeing my heart. Mm. And that was so important to us. And they would come and we'll sit there for 40 minutes, an hour. And I'm thinking, gosh, I feel like we're taking so much of your time, but you're staying for an hour. Why are you staying for an hour? And it's because of that love and respect and dignity that you give people when you treat people as human yeah absolutely um, yeah because yeah, i'm just going back in my head are your words from earlier that the women who are you're meeting are those who have made a choice when they had no other so now you've given them another choice to come and spend an hour mm -hmm. to get a meal when maybe they didn't have that opportunity earlier in the day so the idea is that they you come every other week and yes. you offer a meal you mm -hmm. offer tea mm -hmm. you offer conversation and connection Rajesh has grown beyond just meals though what else are the services that you're offering women and and how has that gone since 2019 because apparently there was a bit of a pandemic yeah, <laughs> what, also came, what was so that tell us a little bit about the last two three years yes um so set up our outreach and we still do that to this day every fortnight we go out and it's the I same see the british piece of you is still there the fortnight oh right who says fortnight it's <laughs> not the british right i think that's just the, those guys but it's, it's, it's still there yeah. yes um and that's amazing and we love we love that space and we will keep it that way that's our first contact with the women um so for those that we've known for a long time like angela she still comes and we'll invite her friends and we'll send other people to come to that space so every new lady that we meet we meet them there and as time grew and of course with the with the pandemic the real issue of now I don't have my my source of income is yeah. at jeopardy. What do I do? And that the conversation of uh, women saying, you know, I would want to do anything else but this, but I don't know where to start. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, so we started to have conversation with women saying, I want out. Can you find me a way out? What would that look like? I don't know, but can you try and find me a way out? And we said, okay. 
we will start to do a few different things. We can experiment with a few things and see where it goes. So beginning of 2021, we set up, uh, we helped some of the ladies set up small businesses. And Angela actually is one of our ladies that we helped set up small businesses. Uh, and over the period of that year, we realized, okay, so not everyone will go into business because this is not a blanket sure. solution, yeah. right? And if we're going to help women set up businesses and then they don't have any skills to run a business, are we really setting them up to succeed or are we setting them up to fail? Mm. And then you have to also realize that um, for a woman who wants to start their journey to leave prostitution, it's not just about the money. It's There is so much more that they have to deal with. Is there addiction? Are they heavily addicted to drugs? Um, what about trauma? They've gone through a lot of trauma on the streets. Um, so what does that look like? Do we Might we be able to help these ladies uh, unpack some of the trauma that they have gone through? So beginning of 2022, we started to write a curriculum, which we're now, we have a whole curriculum set up. And it's called Tuvuke Pamoja program. And this program helps women who wants to exit prostitution. We call it a supported transition out of prostitution because leaving um, sex work, it's a journey and we have to respect that. Uh, it's peer led. We piloted this last year with five women and it was incredible. So in this, we have, for any woman who wants to set up a business, we have business skills training. For any woman who says, actually, I just want to go into employment and I really don't care what that looks like. So we have employability skills training. We have therapy. And so the important. therapy piece <laughs> yeah. has been a game changer for us. Um, we have a qualified therapist and she is amazing. Um, she's a professional. She's also uh, seasoned in life. So she just, she's worked with women all across uh, different kinds of abuse and um, it's a trauma-centered therapy. That was such an incredible piece for us. We had uh, women coming in and just being able to open up about things that they've never shared with anyone, mm. whether it's childhood trauma, mm. abuse um, from parents or abuse from the work, uh, or a lady saying, actually, do you know what I might want to learn from this? I just want to know how to parent better because I don't want my children ending up in the kind of work that I have been in how do I do that better I mean Eunice it sounds like so much of your work has been so responsive to the women in the program I mean starting off the meals were a response to what you heard from women mm -hmm. then the next step seemed to be you know these conversations around um, job opportunities when COVID hit and hearing from women that I need other options yeah <laughs> and then hearing the next piece about this this curriculum being peer-led I think I'm, I'm really touched by that this is responsive to what women are requesting for which is such a different model of even development work because development often is we find a problem we say there's no water here let's build a well and we don't always think about how far is the well who can access the well is there danger on the way yeah you've really done it I think in a way that is so thoughtful community-centered and community-led which is the only way it's going to be sustainable in the end is if the women themselves feel like they are the ones demanding what they mm. would want or not demand is maybe too strong a word but who are driving yeah. the, the the kind of the conversation and the choices for a change mm. that the choice is now in their hand which is mm. really really powerful mm. 
I do have more questions for you, but I think this is a good time to pause and hear Angela's story. So let, let's let's turn our attention to our sister Angela. Angela, welcome again, Karibu Sana. Angela, please tell us your age and where you're from. Naitua Angela, nikona miaka 39 na apa Kiambu County. Her name is Angela. She's 39 years old and she's from Kiambu County. Do you have kids? Are you married? She has two children, two daughters, but she's not married. So Angela, it's not an easy question, but I think it's an important one. How did you get started in sex work and how long have you been in this profession? Jua shida. Nikuwa na toto, lazima ningesaidia. Baba mtoto alituacha. Nikaanza, nikafikiria njiengine ya kufanya tu nikurudi kwa street. Kuenda kwa street, kutafta. Ndiyo watoto wa, at least nisomesha watoto. She's been working as a sex worker for the past 10 years. And she started because she had a baby daddy who left her and the child and she decided to go to the street so she could be able to take care of both herself and her child. So before you had the baby and before he left, what was your work? I think ata sikuwa najua ameoa tukaanza kusumbuana lakini kwa nafanya kazi nilikuwafanya nilikuwa nimfanya kazi eh nilikuwa nimeajiri waduka She came to Nairobi from Kiambu County she stayed with a friend for some time she did some casual work she was working at a shop and she met the father of her child she did not know that he was married they stayed together for a while but she was doing some casual work at the shop did you find that you made more money in sex work? Was that why you changed from working at the shop? Kwanza kurudi kwanza hiyo kazi ya ukaaba sasa kazi ya kuajili ilikuwa inanisumbua mara saa zingine hakuna pesa unalikuwa nalipwa venye umefanya kazi. Sasa nika introduce tu na rafiki tu wenye wanakujanga kwanza mkienda out akani introduce kwa hiyo kazi ya nini ya ukaaba. I think niko na napata pesa kuliko duka obvious ndio nikaacha sikurudi kwa duka afta kuzaa afta kukaa kuzaa nilizani kakaka na baba mtoto ndio akaanza maneno sasa ndio nikarudi nikaanza saa ukaaba na hiyo yeah lakini kwa napata pesa mingi kuliko hiyo kazi ya duka Angela found working at the shop a little stressful they wouldn't pay on time and she had a friend that introduced her to the sex work they would go out clubbing and that's when she was introduced to this line of work and she found that she was making a lot more money so she never went back to working at the shop and it was around this time that she started having problems with the father of her child if you don't mind me asking how much could you make in one night as a sex worker Oh, siku hizo siku za kwanza tukianza and unatengeneza uh, tu pesa mzuri siku poa unaweza tengeneza labda 1500 kama hakuna city council kusumbuliwa lakini from 3 4 5 hizi kosa siku mzuri uh, in the beginning she would make anywhere from 3000 4000 5000 in a good day but that's uh, when there aren't city council workers that are disrupting their work in the streets so anywhere from 3000 to 5000 in a day 
And and how would the city council disrupt your work? Is that being jailed? Is that having to pay a bribe? How would that interfere with your day? Kaya city council wakikuja, waloki wanakuja kushikana, wanashika, unawa bribe, unawapatia maybe 5,000, okay, sorry, 500 ama 1,000. Lakini ukikosa, you unapele kwa kotini, and you're charged, you either lipa 2,000 or you end up going langata. So you would either need to bribe them with about 500 shillings to 1,000 shillings, but if you don't have the money to bribe them, then they will take you in and you would have to then pay the fine at the courts. For the, the solicitation, because it is it is a, a felony, right, Eunice? It's, it's a felony under, under Kenyan law. So, so was there a typical day for you in sex work? And, and what was a typical day like if there if there was such a thing? Uh-huh. So on a typical day, she'll wake up, she'll just go about her day. Her children aren't with her right now, so she'll wake up. She has uh, another side hustle that she's running right now. And then in the evening, she'll get into the city center, find out if the city council is around. If not, she'll get straight into the sexual work business. So even from the daytime, it's not kept to an evening? Um, mchana unaeza, but uh, kama uko, kama unaeza, lakini si kwa street, maybe kwa clubs, ama wadu kuna dating sites, lakini wezi simama kwa street, lakini kwa club unaweza, it's, unaeza fanya, unaeza enda mchana. Yeah. You actually can carry out the sexual work um, during the day. Uh, it just won't be on the streets. You won't be standing by the street side like you would in the evening. This would actually happen either in the clubs or on dating site apps but not by the streets. So how have you protected your personal health as a sex worker? Um, okay. Yo, on my side, kuna protect, kuna protections. Alafu badu kuna hospital za government. Kuna hospital ya government, unezaenda, kuna hospital unendanga, but um, it's our kuchaj. Yeah, lakini na protect. Kuj protect, lazimu protect kwa streets. So they will use protection, um, but there's also hospitals that they can go to. There's government hospitals that they go to and they don't get charged for whatever medical help it is that they need, but they will always use protection while carrying out their business. So it sounds like the income was quite significant per day on a good day that you could make. Um, How did the sex work, you know, change how you were able to provide for your family? Um, tangu nianze, imenisaidia. Kwa sababu, at least, yote imesomesha mtoto, nikuwa nasomesha mtoto, nikana mtu nasomesha mtoto, unalipa nyumba, I think unaishi, yeah, unalipa nyumba, na unasomesha mtoto, na pesa chakula. Iko tu imenisaidia, kusaidia angu, ilikuwa nanisaidia. The income that Angela has received from 
um, this side of work has been has helped her to be able to take care of her family. She's been able to take her children to school. She's paying rent. She's feeding her family. So it's actually helped her take care of her family. Angela, how old are your daughters? Moja ko 21. No, 18 this year. Her first daughter is 21 years old and her second is 18 this year. So you've been doing sex work, I think you said, for about 10 years. So they were quite young when you started, 11 and 8. You know, do they, have they understood what your line of work has been these last 10 years? Do they, do they understand? Uh, okay, we must have a moja misomea nyumbani, the first one, but we mwingine nikiwa na ee, aku anawulikuna mwetu nafanya kazi usiku, nafanya kazi kwa club, ajawe yelewa, nafanya nini juu. Kabisa na mficha sana, ajawai jua. Yowezi enda na mtu kwa nyumba, wezi muambia, hakuna kitu inafanya, ajue, lotanlesa ambiwe na mtu, na hiyo gap, ningu mtu wakuambia, mlima maku wanafanya nini, nafanya ngatu kazi kwa club usiku. Ya, yeah. ajawai jua. Mm-hmm. Her first daughter actually went to school back at home in Kiambu. So she has no idea what her mother has done and neither what her mother does. Neither does her second daughter because... It's not like Angela brings her clients to her home and she hasn't exposed either of her daughters to her line of business. So they're not aware what their mother does for money. Do you think you'll ever tell them? Mm-hmm. No, you talk to Kumsumbu, a mamma, a pity, a mob, and sister Kaskie, you pain, Kamalikwa Baden Kwangu. Angela would never want her daughters to find out what it is that she does, uh, especially her second daughter. They have a very special bond. Um, they've been through a lot with the child's father, you know being disruptive in the homestead and them being there for each other. And because they are girls, especially, she would never want for them to know what her line of work is. So Angela, when you were young, when you were your daughter's age, when you first started this line of work, when you were eight and 11, what, what did you dream for yourself when you were an adult? We can, we can, take, we can take a break too, if you want to take a break, yeah. Nikiwa Mdogo, I think, Hata sikuwa, sana sana nikuwa hata kuwa mwalimu. Hile kukua tu mwalimu na kutoka tu kitambo na penda watoto. So I think katuna watoto kuwa mwalimu. Yeah. I've always loved children. Yeah. So from when I was young, I always wanted to be a teacher. You're not old yet. We're all aging, but you're not old. Do you think those dreams are still possible for you? Size says hiyo mwalimu hapana lakini si na toto unaweza tayakana watoto hiyo kana watoto wadogo napenda kuongea napenda watoto sana so hiyo hata nasa kitu kama daycare naweza taka sana watoto yeah mm. being a teacher not so much but Angela likes to be around children so maybe setting up a daycare or working at a daycare or something yeah she'd like that Angela your your work is not easy. And the data tells us that a majority of women in sex work experience violence. Have you ever experienced violence in your work? Kwa bahati nzuri 
hiyo nasema sijawahi pata na mtu amenidhurumu but i think kwa stories nasikianga tu si kusikia marafiki kwanza kuna rafiki yangu mwingine i don't know wanyo walifanyananga na mtu walikuwa na yeye akamwagianga aka acid tusosa akamwagia acid na akamtupa gari ikienda wengine unasikia mtu amerushwa gari ikienda amemumia magoti kwa lami yeah Thankfully I've never had an incident as such but I hear stories from my colleagues and from my friends one story in particular um someone said what well, a friend of mine actually had acid poured on them and they were thrown out of a moving car so mm. thankfully it's never happened to me but I hear stories mm. Sanja so, I I know you've known Yunus for a few years now so maybe tell me how you were introduced to the Rajesha project Yunis 2019 December through a friend mwenye aliniambia kuna mtu ndo apea namba yako ataku atakupigia atakuletea atakuletea stuff za December Christmas Yunis akaniletea tukajuana 2020 akakuja siku moja akaniambia anaweza nataka kufanya kazi kazi nyingine unaweza kutakuza vitu ama kitu yote apart from kuja kwa street Siku ya kwanza nikamwambia eh ah ile ah wacha tu eh lakini mimi niko niko 50-50 Yunisa kainsiste na akaniambia tafuta mahali utafute shop tule kuletea staff za kuuza uanze hiyo biashara ya kuuza vitu Mchezo tu nikatafuta mahali nikapata Yunisa kaniletea aini akaniletea vitu za kuanza na nilikuwa na freezer nikuwa freezer kwa nyumba nikaanza kuza ice hizi ice pops za watu wii hapo sasa ndio Eunice tumekuwa ya kutoka hiyo time I met Eunice in 2019 through a friend a friend of mine told me to come meet someone who was actually going to do some christmas shopping for us so I went and there was christmas shopping and the Rajesha project would actually feed us as well and i'd keep going for these meetings and this one time Eunice asked me Angela do you want to set up shop do you want to do something outside of this business and i just fully said yes just to just to keep just to to, um, to shut her up um and she asked me to go and find a place where i could set up shop so i did i didn't think she was serious i went i got a spot and she brought me my initial stock and a friend of mine had given me a freezer and that's what i used to start selling popsicles i sell popsicles to kids have you continued with that business and mendelea now mpaka saizi iko and thank to Eunice. Yes, she has continued with the business up until now and she's very grateful to Eunice. Hmm. I I would like to know what you would want to say to your fellow Kenyans on how they can support women who are in sex work like you. Um kwanza sana sana kama mtu anaweza saidia kusaidia wale watu wako pale kwa street ni kusaidia as in wale wengi wako si kutaka kuwapo and uh, mtu anaweza hata, hata kuongea ku cancel mtu kuongea na mtu kumuuliza kumsikiza hiyo na kuacha yani mtu asikutumia asi, hata kikuchukua mwanaume acha kutumia kama kutumia vibaya wale wengi wako na mashida mingi hapo ni 
siku ni kufika hapo na at least kukuwe na heshima tu ikuwe anakuheshimu mkimalizana anakupea pesa yako vizuri na counseling tu sana hata kama utasaidia mtu unaweza tunaongelesha tu mama wale wengi hapo ni wamama unaongelesha ongesha tu vizuri wanawake unaongesha tu vizuri eh One of the things Angela would like for people to know is that the ladies that are out in the streets aren't there because they want to. Most of them don't want to be there. They're there because they have to. So lending a listening ear to some of them might be helpful. And the people that do come out as clients should then go ahead and treat the sex workers with some level of respect and dignity and not just use and abuse them because they are sex workers. and um definitely counseling sessions would be very helpful if those were extended to the ladies out there and you know my last question to you two questions um are, are you still in sex work and if so do you see a day when you may leave the sex work niko na duka lakini kwa cheo kazi sijaacha kabisa iko za size kama duka ipik sana tazingine una badala ya kukaa tu nitegemeeni kule ni kule mpaka stock narudi tena kwa street na jaribu kidogo lakini bado duka sijafunga na iboost na siku moja tu mambo ikipick poa ndaacha kabisa Angela hasn't left the business completely she has her business that Rajesh helped her set up but when business is down she will go back to the streets and get some money to boost her business so that she doesn't eat back into the stock but she's looking forward to a time when she can be able to just sustain her family from her business Angela, thank you for sharing your story it's so important and valuable and i'm so honored that you would trust us with your story so thank you So, you know, Eunice, we've heard Angela's story and we know that there are others who are also working in the sex work space, other organizations, in particular the Kenya Sex Workers Alliance, Keswa has been around for a long time, and they are led by sex workers, initiated by sex workers, and are an organization that are advocating for the rights of sex workers under the law. increased protection, increased rights and visibility with policymakers, law organizations. They're not necessarily seeking to leave sex work, but want more dignity for sex workers within the industry. So I'm just curious, you know, how are you, how's Rajesha balancing, you know, a woman's autonomy to choose and stay in an industry that Rajesha really does believe is quite exploitative and as you said earlier, is only an option for women when they have no choice because they are poor or because they are marginalized how are you navigating that fine line hmm. um so one of the things we do um Lilies we never force a lady to leave prostitution um if someone says i would like to explore other options then we will say okay let's see what we can do and that's when we would sit down and try to even understand what have you done before do you have any skills um if you want to go into business is that something that you've uh, engaged with before what are your talents what are you good at um so for us it's important to uh, remember that not every woman will want to exit prostitution and that's fair um and like i said before this is their work they have educated their children it has paid a livelihood so we can't really go in and start to say look what you're doing you need to stop and if you're not offering different alternatives and 
uh, that alternative to be uh, an incentive enough for a lady to say, actually, I like what you're offering and I mm. want a way out, then they're not going to leave. Um, but yes, it is true that women in sex work should be treated with dignity and respect. And that's something that should be offered, even as just as they're human beings, they're women, they need to be treated with dignity and respect. We agree with that. But yes, we will never, ever force a lady to leave. And we, it's not our job to come from um, a higher authority to say, but this is not a good enough job or what you're doing, you know, from a moral higher sure. um, authority to say what you're doing is wrong. We would never do that. Um, yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that both you and Keswa are doing, which is really valuable, is putting out research and information around sex work itself. Rajesha published, uh, sorry, Keswa published a report in 2020 around the violence that women experience in sex work. And it's alarming. Um, one of the reports they say, quote, that, Women in sex work, um, 97% of them have experienced violence in the last 12 months. Um, economic violence, 86% of them have experienced it. Physical violence, 75% have experienced it. So, I mean, it's overwhelming, the violence that women are experiencing. So I don't think there's any argument that it's a dangerous field. And I think we need all hands on deck in terms of protection and support. And, you know, and as we heard from, from Angela, there are real economic pressures that keep women in these professions there seems to be no better choice or better paying choice um, which is really sobering to think that we've created a society where a woman is paid more for offering sex than she is for offering a skill um, and I see that Rajesha is trying to offer the skill piece by offering training and investigating what women can do and trying to upskill them in those spaces so you know Eunice talk to those who might be listening to this conversation and who are thinking about, you know, how they can get involved, how they can support or be a part of, yeah, partnering with you and the work that you're trying to do. What would you say mm. to them? Mm. Um, and, you know, that's a very, that's a very good question. And when I answer this question, I always say that there is something that anyone can do. I don't want anyone listening to this and thinking, oh, but I will never be in, in Nairobi. I will never be able to do the work that you're doing. I can't volunteer time. There are so many things that we all can do um, with what we have. So for those who are in the city and you um, resonate with this story and you say, I would like to give my time, um, how can I do that? There are ways to contact um, Redisha Project. We are always relying on volunteers to come out um, and, and do the, the outreach that we have and we will definitely link that in the show notes but it's Rajesha yes. just spell that for us so uh, Rajesha is R-E-J-E-S-H-A Project Nairobi projectnairobi.com dot org dot org, dot org. perfect okay dot yes org. so for those who can give their time absolutely we would like to hear from you but then there are other people who might say look I am able to give financially it cost us money to keep our projects going. And I say with the project, the training project to help ladies who are transitioning out of prostitution through a period of three months, it's costing us around 60,000 Kenya shilling per woman to be able to support her out of prostitution. So currently we have, and we just started a new cohort um, literally yesterday. Oh, um, we have seven women. So that is going to require finances we're always in need of financial support if we're going to keep our work going we need it um, and, and just to be clear that transition includes the therapy that you mentioned earlier yes, the yes. skills training yep 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So that's the the twelve week program. Um, the with curriculum this, that you've set up. Yes. Okay. Um, so it's trained by myself and my colleague, um, and we go to uh, we have a place where we go to the ladies. We always say that we will go to the to the women closer to them than them coming to us. Um, so all of that requires money and also um, our outreach even though it's it's a small and it's simple but we still require to pay the um, rent for the space uh, reimburse travel for our volunteers so we do need a, um, a lot of money to keep our doors open um, but for me the most important piece that I want to connect with people in our city is um, we're looking for partners and these partners um, if you're listening and if you, you belong to different professional networks and you're well-connected, um, you have a business perhaps, and you think, look, I have opportunities that I could offer women who are looking to get employment. Is that a cleaning job, perhaps? Is it a job at the back of the house? It doesn't have to be at the front of the house. Um, if you run, say, a coffee shop, we're not sure. saying, oh, but they won't be able to do their customer service skills. There are so many other opportunities that we can offer. And let me tell you what. Um, a lot of these ladies have so much skills and talent that given the opportunity to thrive and to showcase those talents elsewhere, they really come out. We have um, Angela who said she used to work in a shop. Definitely. There, there are and what, what, what drove her out of that, which is really sobering, is the fact that they weren't paying on time. Yes. It's not that she didn't have the skills or even that the opportunity was that there was the inconsistency of that opportunity yeah. drove her to look for other ones. Who wouldn't yeah. do that, you know? Yeah. So... Okay, so yeah. it sounds like there are a lot of people, to, ways people can get involved. Rajesha Project Nairobi dot org where they can find out ways to get involved. Yes. So as we close, my last question before for you, and then I have two for you and, and Angela, is you know what have the women of the Rajesha Project taught you? Ooh, wow, that's a good question. And for me, they have taught me joy, joy in the face of so much adversity. When everything is going against you, but you still have a reason to choose life, to choose your children, to risk your own life so that your children have a better future. That is something that when we see these ladies standing on the street, we judge what we see. We don't get to see their motivation, their heart for their own families and for their own children when we're in this room uh, outreach with these ladies let me tell you the laughter and the stories and the joy that is in that space is incredible that's something that I want people to know that these ladies have so much life in them um, and actually when we're leaving, uh, every time we go out to the streets and we were out on Saturday, I can't wait to go back out again. I seriously cannot wait to go back because these ladies have become my, my sisters. Some of them are old enough to be my mothers. And actually when they walk into the room, I say, mama, I call them mamas. <laughs> uh, others are younger than me. So they're my younger sisters. Um, they have so much love to give. We have received that love and that's something that I will always tell of the ladies um, on the streets that they have so much to offer us. Mm. Stop judging the book by its cover. Stop judging just by what you see. And then you judge uh, is the, the dress short, too short, and that's what you judge. 
there is so much about them that we don't get to see. And we need to stop just long enough for people to let their mask fall off and they show you who they really are. And they're incredible women. Thank you for that. You know, so you're bringing me to tears as we finish by, which is not good because, you know, I have fake eyelashes on today. So <laughs> they're going to come right off. But I want to ask both you and Angela what I ask every guest before they leave the show. Um, Angela, I'll start with you. And then Eunice, you can answer as well. What's your favorite drink? <laughs> Gilbis. Ooh, that doesn't need translation. Nice. <laughs> Gilby's, I know. <laughs> okay. And you, Eunice? What's oh, my goodness. On this uh, hot Wednesday afternoon that we're recording. Do you know, I am also going, if it's a, I'm, I'm relaxing, I'm going the gin and tonic. Gin and tonic. You're not going to boost a brand here. No, like I'm not going to. I'm not going to go not for gonna say it. But also, yes, gin and but I have my okay. favorite, but a gin and tonic for sure. And then, you know, you've already touched on this, but the, the Salam and Hello is a story, is a show about joy and justice. That's those are the stories we try and tell here. And Rajesha Project is very much an intersection of both a story of joy, as you just pointed out, and about justice. I think it's important for me to elevate stories where we're not saying, feel bad about this, or this is an act of charity. No, what the work you're doing is an act of justice, of restorative, economic, social justice. So to extend that conversation and go back to the joy, I ask everyone who comes on the show, what is bringing you joy? So maybe again, well, Eunice, you've already said it a bit, so I'll give you time to think, but Angela, we'll start with you. What is bringing you joy today? Wow. Kukaa kuongea kushare your story. Eh, sana sana huyo story, story about life yangu mimi ongea na sikia vizuri juu ya my daughters sasa nikiongea mm. na nikipata mtu kuongea na yeye nasikia raha hiyo ndio nampea raha it brings me joy to share my story because i know i'm paying it forward and somehow helping my daughters so it gives me joy to share my story mm. thank you for that angela you make me cry too okay Eunice, take us home what's bringing you joy do you know, for me to be in a place where um, this started as such a small seed, I call it a mustard seed, and to see it grow to the place, to the point that it has reached today, and to have so many people say, Eunice, what you're doing? How can we plug in? Um, it was a dream that I lived, it lived in my, in my heart mm. for so long, and I didn't ever think that anyone was going to be interested in what I have. I thought I was just going to be a misfit in this society. But to have so many people say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be, I want to get involved. How can I plug in? That that gives me so much joy. And I just say, come along. This is a wild trip that mm. we are on. Come along. And to even have women like Angela to accept me and to love me and not to know, not because I have all the answers, but to just say, I like what you're doing. I mm. like that you have, there is something about you that you're offering and I want to be a part of it. That gives me so much joy. Thank you for that, Ines. Brings me joy to meet some other gin drinking Christians too. So let me just say yes. that as we close out today. <laughs> <laughs> so listeners, um, thank you. Thank you for staying with us in this conversation that I think is just so important. Um, Angela Santesana for telling your story. You're absolutely not for you, just your daughters, but all of our daughters. I have two daughters also, so you're paying it forward for them as well. 
And listeners, if you want to learn more, you can find Rajesha Project, as you said, RajeshaProjectNairobi.org. You also have a social media presence. So we'll put all of that in the show notes. You can find all of their details. And of course, we want to hear from you. Send us a message, DM us, tell us what this made you feel, what your own stories might be around issues of sex work or social justice or how you're getting involved in your communities. We always feel lifted when we hear from you. So it's lily at salamandhello.com or, you know, slide into the DMs like people are wanting to do on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. It's at salamandhello and it'd be a joy to hear from each and every one of you. Rate and review the show, subscribe, all of that. Thank you to our translator today. We're so grateful to have her services. I'm not sure she wants me to say her name, so I'll just put it in the show notes. But thank you so much for the Rajesha team that also made this episode possible today. And until we meet again, be easy, y'all. Talk to you soon. Every time you smile, summer in your eyes. I, 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 don't ask me why I'm by your side. You keep me alive. You keep me